Welcome to the Fit Archer Podcast, my friends. On episode 14, I sit down and have a conversation with my friend Zach Griffith from Utah. Zach is a fitness freak. He's a bow hunting junkie. He's a He's just a hunting nut in and of itself. The guy is, has really done an amazing job putting animals on the ground and hanging them on the wall. He's also a social media influencer. If you take a look at his Zach Griffith Instagram or Facebook or Twitter feed, he is, uh, he's a very positive voice in the, in the outdoor industry, in the fitness industry. So make sure you go t- uh, check him out, take a look at him, follow him. You can also check him out at ZachGriffith.com. He's got an apparel line, hashtag sucks. We have a great conversation about the making of that little hashtag and, and, and have some good laughs about it and the toughness of, of hunting. But in the episode, we talk a lot. You know, Zach's from Utah, and they do some grueling, grueling style of hunting there and really, really neat to hear what, you know, what they do, how they do it. And the whole time I'm listening to him tell a story, I could literally be tensed up myself and know the kind of work that they're going through chasing these deer and elk the way that they do in Utah. And uh, he's hunted all over the world, though, and done a really, really great job. And, and again, like I said, is a great, great positive influence. I had a really, really fun time sitting down and talking with the first time I ever got a chance to meet him. And uh, we had a great conversation. I think you're going to like it as much as I do. You're going to get some tips, some tactics, and some gear in this podcast and uh, make sure you follow him and all his platforms and want to say thank you to my good friend Patrick right over at Numa Productions. Numa Productions keeps my sound up and running, editing all good, making sure that it's pleasurable for you to listen to. So I really, really appreciate him. If you need any podcast ideas or have any podcast needs from editing sound equipment, whatever it is, look up numaproductions.net and Patrick will help you out. So take a listen to the podcast. If you would guys give us a review, love to see you on Apple, uh, podcast, just, you know, take a few minutes and, and write a review for us. Give us a five-star rating. If you're liking it, I'm getting a ton of feedback through text messages, uh, text messages, private messages, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, you know, so share the podcast if you would and, and give us a review. We greatly appreciate it. want to say thank you to everybody for listening and uh, supporting the Fit Archer podcast. First shipment of sweatshirts and hoodies went out. T-shirts are being ordered and people tagging us all across the country, putting on their new gear. So the Fit Archer podcast has the Fit Archer gear. God bless y'all. Enjoy the podcast. You are listening to the Fit Archer Podcast. All hunting, all fitness, all the time. Hey, Zach, how you doing? Very good, man. Hey, thanks for jumping on the Fit Archer Podcast. It's been uh, nice to officially meet you. I've followed you for a long time, but I've never officially, I don't, we've never spoken in person, so this is kind of, kind of a, a first time. No, likewise, man. I remember the first time I saw one of your yard workouts, I'm like, the dude's shredded and he lives in my neighborhood. So we're going to get along great, but I've already moved out of there, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, I've been following you for a while and, and I was laughing. I was, I put in my notes here to say, you know, he, this is Zach Griffith. He's, he's owner of the best looking bows in the industry. You know, I was just going through your Instagram feed again here just before we got on. I'm like, man, you build some of the awesomest looking bows. Where did, uh, where did that come from? Uh, for, well, the first thing, just as a preface is they don't kill anything. They're absolutely <laughs> harmless because I'm a terrible hunter. So I carry around neat, neat bows, but they're, they're just neat bows. They don't really do much, but, um, 
You know, I think uh, my first bow I ever kind of decked out was uh, I did one in ASAC camo, probably 2010. And I, I, that was when hydro dipping just started coming out. And I mean, we were dipping everything. We were dipping our, I used to do triathlon. So I did my race helmet and I dipped some of my bike parts. And then I'm like, well, dude, you could do a bow riser. That'd be easy. So I just dipped a bow in ASA and thought it was rad and then got into the custom paint. And uh, the one thing about me and my personality is it's always like, it's progressive, but like hyper, like if I make a cool bow, the next year's bow has to be cooler, more unique, more edgy. And luckily I just crossed paths with some really cool artists that just came to me and wanted to collaborate. And then we just did little deals and, uh, you know, it just turned into like a, an annual thing. And it actually, <laughs> ironically, like I started running out of ideas and it's kind of funny, but like, I was a little nervous, like with each build, like, how am I going to up the last one? And I've had a lot of crap about like, Oh, that one wasn't original. That's just a different version, different color, whatever. But I've just tried to be creative and, and just spark some controversy and some attention off of me. I just think it's fun, you know? Oh, they look sharp. And I mean, you know, as, as a hunter yourself, you know, half the game is how good can you look in the outdoors? It's not about how good can we hunt? How good can we actually look? This, 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 yeah. My, my, my take on that is the most badass bow hunter of all time was Fred bear. And that dude wore flannel and a freaking hat with a feather in it. So as far as I'm concerned, camo is like 10th on the tier as far as, necessity for killing but for comfort and performance it's way up there but i mean the camel pattern you can wear solids and kill stuff you know it's all about the wind it's all about being sneaky that's really what matters so oh and you're right and don't kid yourself man you got a trophy room you're adding to it i saw you got a buffalo coming in and you know this is the fit archer and so, of course, we talk about archery, but I'm an outdoorsman, just like you. I mean, I will pick up any weapon and hunt. I, I grew up hunting. At four years old, I was in the woods with my dad, and we were hunting everything. And so I just gravitated towards archery because it got easier. Where I came from in Wisconsin, it was easier to get permission to bow hunt than it was to gun hunt. Everybody, about 93, right. 94, the commercialization of hunting really put a, a, a cramp on you getting to hunt anybody else's property, but you could bow hunt it because nobody really bow hunted. So I just gravitated more towards that. And of course, there's a, there's a there's a special bond, you know, with bow hunting. The closer you get to animals and stuff, but you kill a lot of animals. You got you got something sitting behind you there. I've seen your trophy room on social media. You got some great animals. You you've hunted all over the place, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, it's funny because I'm a super optimistic guy. I'm real positive, but when it comes to hunting, all I think about is the missed opportunities and the shots I blew and stocks I blew. So it's kind of funny, but like, even right now I'm sick of hunting. I hate hunting because my fall was just a dump. I mean, I blew it on the best year of my life. I had an Arizona Kaibab tag hunted for eight days straight, just had my ass handed to me. And I, yeah, I am still resonating all this negativity from the fall. And so I'm just kind of like rebounding out of it. And I'm sure when the tags start hitting and everything, I'll get the spark, but yeah, it's a, it wears on my morale, dude. I, I take it too seriously. Like it's it's a level where it's it's not even healthy. You know, it I my income at work suffers dramatically. Like ask anyone in our building, I'm always right in the top of the performance uh tiers for the sales guys. And I crush the first three quarters and then I plummet in August. And they all tease me because I always finish fourth, third or fourth in the office, but I'm usually number one until that fourth quarter. So because I just get into hunting, I just lose my mind. I can't focus. I miss work. I'm 
you know, playing on my phone or computer when I should be taking calls. So yeah, it's not a very healthy obsession, but I always fall back into it. <laughs> well, you have a good uh, support group of about uh, another 300, 400,000 obsessed hunters around you to, to speak to all the time. I think that's, that's all of us, but you coined the phrase. I think you got a, you got a business, you got some productions going on, but bow hunting sucks. You were just talking about, you had a, you had a tough fall. I didn't know you had a kai bag kaibab tag but the bow hunting sucks i remember the first time i saw that i'm like why is this guy that's this fit dude he loves archery why is he saying bow hunting sucks i didn't quite get the whole gist of it so maybe kind of fill the listeners in on what what's what's that all about well it it started off um about let's see 2014 or 13 we've been hunting elk in utah on an over-the-counter extended late season tag that we're talking december 15th at 9,000 feet, chest deep snow, breaking trail every morning because there's fresh powder. Most guys are jumping on the chairlifts and riding the mountain skiing. We're up there chasing, migrating, dink, you know, 270-inch bulls, but putting our life and our soul into this hunt. It's just a, an annual tradition. We all just live for it. Anyways, one morning, one of the mornings halfway through the hunt where many of my buddies were getting up and driving out there, and I'm tying my boots up, and I'm like, dude, this sucks. Like, this freaking sucks. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to hike for two hours in single digit temperatures in the snow, crunching up the hill. My bow is going to get tangled up in oak brush. My arrows are going to get torn out of my quiver. I'm going to pop pins on my sight. I'm going to lose gear. I'm going to tear my clothes. And I'm like, I'm going to freeze my balls off all day up there. And so I just said, bow hunting freaking sucks. And the second I said that, I just smiled ear to ear and just kept tying my boots and jumped in my truck and burned up the canyon. I mean, it was like, I say that, but it doesn't mean for one second I don't just love it. You know, leg day sucks, but I do leg day twice a week because I freaking love it. It doesn't mean it's it's stuff that sucks seems to have a little more value to me. Um, I just think the stuff that's natural or comes easy, just, I don't know, maybe you just don't appreciate it as much. And so it's the, 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 the sucky, the, the, the nature of bow hunting being so difficult, so depressing. So, um, um, what's the word I was going to say? Um, anticlimactic, so disappointing, et cetera. The, the fact that it's that difficult when it does actually work out the net change in emotion and the net change in, in tone and mood is so dramatic. It almost knocks you on your ass. It's overwhelming. And so, I like that it sucks because it makes the victory that much sweeter. You know, you appreciate it more. So yeah, it's a play on words. Yeah. It gets a lot of attention and a lot of controversy, but um, unless you hunt out West and you climb the mountains, we climb in the weather that we hunt in and you fell and suck at hunting as much as I do, you're not going to get it. Um, if it doesn't suck to you, then man, you're uh, it, it comes natural to you. You should probably be go bowling or something. Uh, bow hunting is tough, man. And, especially the way we do it where I'm by the garbage Walmart tags, you know, over the counter general units, you're dealing with public land, other hunters, uh, deer that are just hammered left and right. They're, they're already stressed and strained and being chased all over. I mean, the odds are so far against your favor that it's pretty much illogical to go do it other than we're obviously motivated by far more than the success of the hunt itself. Uh, it's way more about the, the the journey, about the chase, you know, the just relishing those moments, reliving them in your head, 
the anticipation as you're like I said, you're lacing your boots up. You're like, dude, today it's going to happen. It's coming together today. And that night when you're rolling down the hill, whining like a baby and you're dehydrated and you're sore and you're depleted, you say, dude, I can't wait. I'm going to get up in the morning and get back up here because tomorrow, tomorrow it's going to happen. Not today, but tomorrow it will. And that's my eternal optimism that's so ridiculous. My wife can't stand it because I'm always driving home at night saying, okay, tomorrow this is going to work because. And I I completely scratched the whole day and all the misery that we just endured. It's, It's like a fresh slate. But, dude, bow hunting sucks. Well, man, I just, I'm sitting here smiling from ear to ear, just understanding it all. And every bow hunter does that. Like you said, that hunts the mountains, understands you you face the brutal weather. It makes me think of this story. Um, 2014, I bought a moose, moose hunt. I was at an auction and I I lucked out and got it at a pretty good price. And I didn't have anybody to go with. And I ended up talking my hunting partner and going with me. And of course, you know, I'm looking at all the magazines and moose hunting looks just glorious. You know, these big giant animals been on my bucket list for since I've been just a kid bow hunting. And we roll up there, Edmonton, where we're going to hunt Alberta. So we fly into Edmonton, drive up to Alberta, and I leave Arizona at 102 degrees in September, 105 degrees, whatever it is. I fly up there. It's 20 degrees. Actually, the first day wasn't too bad riding in. We, it was 25 miles by horseback, so six-hour ride in. We're like, oh, this is wilderness in its finest. This is going to be amazing. They shoot giant moose. By the third day, the, or the second day, snow started in, and we got dumped down with three and a half feet of snow, and it was miserable, as as miserable as I've ever been. The next five days, my fingertips froze. I got frostbite in my toes. I had nerve damage through it. It was miserable, and we left there. Never, We got snowed out, so we didn't, I mean, after the first day, we never seen a moose. And my buddy and I, the whole timer, just kept saying, this is not for the faint of heart. This is, no, weak people wouldn't make it in here. You know, so I'm priding myself, like, being somewhat tough, but the whole time thinking, like, how bad it sucks. One week after that hunt, when we left the mountains, we drove to uh, the town, Grand Cash. We got in a hot tub, soaked in a hot tub forever because we were so dirty and so cold for so many days. And then one week later, I called my buddy up. I said, hey, Cody's got uh, two openings for next year. You want to go? He's like, I'm in. You know, it was <laughs> like, I mean, I just, I couldn't help but laugh. Like the whole time we're like, this sucks. Like, you, you, know, you know how it is when you can't get warm and you're on a hunt and it's day after day after day and you never warm up. And in the yeah. middle of it, it's brutal and agonizing. But once it's over, you realize like, I loved that aspect of it. I loved how bad it sucked. Well, it makes you appreciate that hot bath too. When you get home, it's like, it's like, it's, you got to have this polarization of emotions in order to appreciate the spectrum. You have to, you have to go through pain to appreciate pleasure. You have to go through suffering to appreciate relaxation and vacation. I mean, it's like, you have to have that life has to suck in order for it to be awesome. And bow hunting is, is, is life, you know, it's, it's exact, it's indicative to anything that matters. Anything of, of substance in life has to suck for it to be appreciated and, and, and relished. Do you know what I mean? So I see you coming out with a marriage sucks, parenting sucks, <laughs> business sucks. <laughs> no shirt. I see you coming out with all no these way. shirts. <laughs> my wife would beat my ass. That's never happened. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, you know, it's, even though it does, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, you're exactly right. You know, if it was easy, everybody do it. And if it easy, if it was easy, you wouldn't enjoy the success because bow hunting success. I mean, I want to ask you about your Utah late seasons hunts. Cause I watch you on, on social media. Dude, like, 
cold. Yeah, come up next year. Stay at my house. Let's go smash. Oh, it's man. So I, freaking I, fun, dude. I, what I watch you guys, what you're going through, you say, I buy those Walmart tags. I'm always looking at going, oh, man. I see what he's talking about. I've driven through Utah quite a bit. I know the size of the mountains. So tell me about some of those. Tell me about some of those late season hunts. Like what? What? Man, what are you guys doing? Because it looks cold. It looks brutal. Yeah. So it's like I mean, it's like a tribe. It's kind of like the desert muleys for Arizona guys. Like unless you're an Arizona desert rat, you're not going to appreciate a desert muley. In fact, I remember I. I shot like a 29 inch two point three by two out in the flats. It was a 10 year old deer. It took me probably 60 days to kill it. I made a YouTube video called 60 days. That's what it's about. And I remember my buddies in Utah were like, dude, that's a forky. Like what the hell? Like it's, what does he score? 130? And I, and I like just, I wanted to sock him because I'm like, you do not know how badass this deer is, dude. He is 10 years old. It's a desert muley. It's a burrow, dude, just living out in the flats, you know, eating choyas, just a rat, you know? And the same thing is in Utah. There's a tribe of guys that hunt this mountain range to the east of Salt Lake City where all the famous ski resorts like Deer Valley, Park City, Snowbird, Alta, they live, they're in the Wasatch Mountains or the Wasatch Front. And it's a, it's called a front because there's a fault line there. And there's the tectonic plates just drove this just jagged ass ridge line right up in the valley. So we have shade till like 10 in the morning because these mountains, I mean, they, they're up, they're five, 6,000 feet above the floor straight up. And it's been legendary to the locals that there's huge mule deer up there. And I'm talking like world-class muleys. There's been deer killed in the two sixties up there with general tags right outside of Salt Lake, 20 minutes. I mean, literally, if you can hike and climb, you can get into deer. Uh, Sean Morgan, uh, he's my partner here in my business. He's, if you go, if you don't follow Sean Morgan, you have to look at this kid, but he has killed, I'm going to guess six or seven deer over 190 with general over-the-counter tags. I mean, 190 to 220. These are magazine cover. He's been on Muley Crazy cover He's been on Eastman's, I believe, several, three or four times. I mean, the kid is lethal, but he's hunting the same backcountry stuff right in our backyard with over-the-counter tags. People know what his car looks like. They know where he parks. They got to have a general idea of where he's going because he's limited geographically to the parking lots, but he still just turns these huge bucks up. And this elk hunt is just another appendage of this Wasatch front. It's another aspect of it. And what it is is it's a general uh, over-the-counter archery tag it's basically a statewide tag but the wasatch unit is open from august 20th approximately to december 15th so you could buy an over-the-counter elk tag in salt lake and hunt from august until december non-stop seven days a week rut pre-rut post-rut i mean pre-winter post-migration it's the coolest hunt ever um there's not a lot of big bulls if you kill a 300 inch bull on this tag you I mean, you're off the charts as far as respect level goes. I personally have never killed a bull on this hunt, and I've probably hunted it 10 or 11 years hard. And I mean, like, when I say hard, I mean day day to night, you know, at least 10, 10 out of the 15 days uh, of that last chunk. Um, and it's it's kind of like the the culmination, the Super Bowl of the season, you know. it's It's December, so we're all worn down. We haven't shot our bow in months because when you're hunting, you don't really shoot your bow. We're hunting every day. You know, my bow's on my pack. I make sure it's tuned and I shoot my block in my basement, but I don't go to the range during hunting season. I'm busting ass. I'm either at work or on the mountain. I don't have time to go shoot. So December's kind of like the Super Bowl. It's where we're all come together. 
it's a tag that everyone has. So there's no like favorites. No one's lucky and drew it. It's just like, dude, go buy your tag. Let's meet tomorrow morning. And we do these orchestrated big pushes and we find these migrating bulls up in these big timber pockets and we push them and we bump them and we, we do drives and it's just, it's so exciting. It's so fun. And again, no one ever kills anything, but just the fact that we're chasing in December while everyone else is at home putting up Christmas lights, it's just kind of like the ultimate like way to wrap up the year. And, and, and yet, as you and I were discussing earlier, I'm still recovering physically, mentally, and emotionally from December. I, I am like literally don't want to hunt right now. I'm sick of it. Like I'm still burned out from that, how hard we went in December. And I told you before, there was a, a, a bunch of down emotions on some really blown opportunities for, for myself um, hunting as well. But the December hunt was tough. I missed, I think four shots and people say, what do you mean you missed four shots? Like, how do you miss shots? I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're shooting in single digit temperatures with wind, snow, oak brush, super steep angles. If you don't have time to calculate, you know, your cut charts and stuff, if you don't have an range finding uh, with an angle compensator, you're screwed. You're shooting uphill, downhill. We're radioing. Everyone's wearing earbuds. You're running up and down the mountain. The guys always tease me. They call me Griffith by nine because usually we're in there by like five o'clock in the morning. So we start hiking around three. We're set up in the freezing cold. We start spreading out in our headlamps. And by about nine o'clock, we've either killed a bull or we've chased him out of the basin. And I leave. I go off the hill and go to work. And all the guys tease me about it because they sit up on the hill and freeze all day and run out of food and bitch about it. But I just go to work because I don't think it's productive. So I always get teased. But I'm able to go up the next day fresh because I, you know, I'm in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, but obviously it's not working. I never kill stuff. So I don't know. Man. It's just my take on it. But, uh, but I'm you're just, welcome to come, dude. The more the merrier. <laughs> I, just, I think you just talked me out of it when you said on the mountain at three up in position by five. That tells me that's a two-hour hike in the, horrible, in the deep snow, brutal, yeah, cold. Well, you don't break trail, though. You always have – you take turns breaking trail. So someone will be out in front in snowshoes. We call them the plow. Someone's plowing. And sometimes it doesn't snow. So the night before we cut trail, you can get up there really quick. So it's not always cutting trail, but it's a, it's a bitch of a hike. Well, it's ruthless. I've been known as being kind of fit, you know, just because people see pictures. I don't want to really try to have to put that to the test and and be like a plow breaker and and get my fitness exposed. (laughs) That is crazy. Yeah. You'd be fine. It's all will. It has nothing to do with you. Dude, you're already ripped. I see you carry kettlebells around. You'll kill it. You just have, you're going to get your, your, your gut check. You're going to get tested. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's not even about, are you tough? It's not about that. It's, it's, are you going to stay up here? Are you, yeah. you going to go after that bull? I mean, dude, you hike for two hours and then you're in the area. That doesn't mean you just kill one. It's like, okay, now we can start hunting. So you may be another two hours on your next stock because they're up and around the corner. You need to go around the mountain, come up the backside. And the thing that's funny is we never get picked up where we park. We'll park in one mouth of the canyon. We'll actually go over the crest of the mountain and drop down into another basin. And I'll call my dad at eight o'clock at night and say, hey, we're going to be on this corner. I'll send you a pin. And my dad will come and pick us up because we're literally skirting the mountain range and going back and forth. And you have no idea where the bulls are. So you have to be flexible. 
it's it's wild, man. It's really wild. So that you know, seeing the pictures and what you guys do, how in the world do you stop? Because I've seen your pictures, and sometimes there's where you're sitting, maybe waiting for some of these elk to be pushed, or maybe glassing and then moving from a stock from there. I'm not quite sure, but I'm seeing a foot, two foot of snow. How in the world are you guys stalking in that stuff, and even somewhat getting close? Yeah. So so since I've done it, I've only son, I've only got one shot one time where I actually stalked the bull and got a legit squared up anchor good shot. And it's the only time I ever have. The rest of the time, it's all pushes. So you get one guy and we call him the sacrificial lamb. It's kind of a, a bad re- religious reference, but he's basically got to sacrifice himself for the team and say, dude, I'm going to go push those bulls. I'm not going to get a shot. I'm going to get torn up. It's oak brush. And if you've ever been in oak brush, it's like a maze, like a jungle of just, just tangled branches. And it's just a nightmare. And so that person pushes the bulls, but we've hunted it so much. These bulls have these habits and they follow the same patterns that their dad, their, their grandpa. I mean, it's generational. So I know if they're bedded in this pocket, they're going to break to that saddle. So what we do is we say, okay, dude, the bulls are in the bottom. The wind's perfect. We'll bust ass, get around, get a, get on top of them. I'll call you when I'm 10 minutes from the top. You start, you drop down the canyon, make as much noise as you can and get towards those elk and rattle them up to us. So that's when it happens. I mean, I literally get shots every day, but they may be 40 to 90 yards and you may have four seconds to dope your range on your, on your site, draw, anchor, set and shoot. And the bulls don't hold still for very long. So you might do a little mute call a 90 yard shot quartering away in the snow, you're frozen solid. You haven't moved for eight hours and it's now it's time. It's just, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't work out most of the time. It's just, you're not, you're, there's too many factors against you, but every once in a while, one of us will smash one. One of us will kill one. I have a buddy that killed a pig with a big 14 inch flyer off his Royal is like a 340, 350 bull. Um, Sean Morgan, who I referenced earlier, the, the, the dude's killed four bulls in the last six years. He's the, he's the goat. And three of them were over 300, two were 330. I mean, they're big, great big bulls. And this kid, he's just a, a ninja. He just gets in there and kills them. And, and it's fascinating. Like, I know what I'm good at, and I know what other people are good at. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that can admit when I suck at something and give the pass the torch to the guys that kill it. And I suck at hunting. I just go really hard and I go a lot. So I do make up the slack and and get lucky sometimes, but guys like Sean Morgan, dude, the guy kills every single year. Like he makes me look like a buffoon, but I can lift more weight than he can. So he doesn't come (laughs) to the gym with me and do curls, you know, There you (laughs) go. you got to focus on what you do. Right. And either way, man, when Sean kills a bull, I'm stoked. I get teared up, you know, because I'm, I know what it took and I know it's a big one because Sean won't shoot a bull unless it's a stud. So, if you don't follow him, please go jump on his Instagram and scroll through. Those are general public land, over-the-counter animals. That's all he hunts, and he's he just smashes, man. He's awesome. Yeah, I follow him too, and I, I would I would encourage every listener to follow him because he's got just it, it is is pretty incredible. It, you said something there, you know. Some people, you know, like I'm the same as you. I'm not a great hunter. I just pride myself on going more and grinding it out and doing that kind of stuff. So sometimes you put the odds in your favor, the more times that you go, but then there, there's some people that just, you know, they are really, really good at everything from figuring it out, figuring out an animal to, 
just the shooting, you know, every aspect of hunting, they just, they're a little bit better. You know, it's, it, it makes us guys envious of them, but it's great to get around them. Um, you know, yeah. get around guys like that. hundred percent, man. So I would have to imagine you sitting in that brutal temperatures. This is an opportunity to put your gear to a test. A hundred percent. Great, great point. What, uh, what kind of gear are you running and, and stuff like that? I mean, everybody's got their own preference, but I like hearing from guys that put it to the test and what they use and boots, especially I can, I can wear good stuff to keep my body warm, hands and feet always cold. Right. Right. So, um, so for boots, there's no question. Uh, there's lots of good options out there, dude. I mean, you look at boots now compared to 10 years ago, it's, it, it there's nothing. I mean, they're, they're just amazing, but I, I got approached by Lathrop and Sons um, a few years about about the custom orthotics, the insoles, the custom fits. Um, and I, I, I ran my first set of Lathrop insoles on some Loas, uh, just some really good mountain mid boots. You know, they're Gore-Tex, but they're pretty lightweight. They're just real tough for just cruising around in the rock and stuff. I mean, you could, wear, you could ride your mountain bike with them. They're really functional. Um, so I'm definitely a burner on the mountain. I like to burn up the hill. I take pre-workout when I hike, I'm doing my carbs in between, like, or if I was doing keto, I was doing MCT. I, I, I like performance hiking. Like I burn, I'll put DMX in my headphones and burn up there in the dark. I love to do it. It's part of my day, my workout. So I like wearing a lightweight, flexible boot, but the last sprint signs with the custom insoles, the custom orthotics, they fit so good. There's no blisters. There's no hot spots. Your feet stay warm and dry. They fit them to your feet because they do a carbon footprint. So I was always running like a 10 and a half, 11. They put me in a 10 and I was like, what? And they're like, dude, wear a thinner sock. We'll send you some socks and wear a 10. And I'm warmer, more comfortable and lighter on my feet because I'm wearing a lighter boot. Again, this is just inside. These guys are they're orthopedics first or a podiatrist, I believe, or orthopedic surgeon. I believe someone there is. But they're 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 all about functionality first and performance, and then they build the boot around you. Uh, so they're the bomb, and they, now they have their own line of boots. And I wear the Elite Hunters, and they're just they're just there's nothing wrong with them, man. I've rocked them for three years, and I tear boots up, and these things are rock solid. I had one eyelet pop off, uh, sent it to them, they fixed it in three days, shipped back to my house, priority mail, warm the next day on the hunt. So uh, that's the boots. Um, I partnered up with Cryptech this year. They have that uh, altitude line. Um, I was just blown away by, I mean, they're, first of all, like the pattern I think is just gangster. It looks tough as hell. Like we joked about earlier, the pattern is irrelevant. Deer don't care what color camel you're wearing. Uh, it's all about being comfortable and being able to function. That's where camel lines to me matter. I've worn solids. It just doesn't make a difference. But the Cryptech altitude line, it's rock solid. It's a sheep line. So they've got the gators and the, you know, the baklavas and the, the, the puffy inners and the liner and the, the layering systems and the outer shells and it just everything you need for just rocking and rolling on big mountain. And, and I've loved them so far. I mean, obviously this year I'm going to really test them because I picked them up last year, right during desert muleys in, in January, but I've just hiked around them around my house. Uh, I got the mountain right in my backyard. So um, that's where I'm at with the camo stuff and I'll, you know, fill you in more as I get to try the stuff out. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, there's nothing better than just having stuff. I mean, imagine going back to when we were kids, we're about the same age. We're close to the same age. I don't know how old you are, but you know, going back. Okay. So I'm a little bit older. Um, going back when, you know, it was cotton gloves and pack boots 
in cotton pants, you know, man, we are spoiled today. And you know, life going back to what you said about bow hunting sucks, just things being worth it when it's more challenging. If you think about it, our whole lives are about making ourselves more comfortable. Look at the clothing we're wearing, you know? And so everything we do is about getting ourselves more comfortable. We'll talk about that when we get into fitness here. And towards the end, I want to ask you some things, but uh, man, gear today is just amazing. There's, there's no reason um, that anybody should have a gear problem when it comes to fitting the right gear for whatever climate they're going to hunt. I completely agree, man. Um, so tell me about your Kaibab hunt. Was that an archery? Was that rifle? I, I did not know no, you drew so, a tag. Yeah. So one thing I do a lot, is I, it's stupid. I, I, I apply for every state. So I have like 14 points in Nevada for every species. I've got max points for elk in Wyoming. I've got 20 deer points in Utah. Um, I just, I've been putting in, it's like a stock portfolio, dude. It's my investment. So I have spreadsheets and I track it all. And this year I was just feeling spunky. And I said, dude, I got, 10 points i'm gonna burn them in arizona dude and i had a friend say get that kaibab early tag it's badass it is badass and a lot of guys smash big deer but it's not the way i hunt it's not how i'm used to hunting it's not a physical hunt it's a lot of roads a lot of driving um really weird terrain you're hunting uh junipers and uh, pinions ponderosas Uh, i'm i'm a i'm a high country mule deer hunter so i like the steep rocky nasty shit where i can glass for miles and shoot thousand thousand yards with my 300 i mean it's just a totally different deal and dude i'm gonna be straight up about it man i got my butt handed to me i went down there and got smoked i just didn't see a big deer i didn't see a buck over 170 and i I, i've shot lots of 170s i wanted a 200 inch kaibab buck i don't care i didn't i wouldn't even have racked a shell at a 180 it wasn't even on the radar i wanted to kill a big deer and maybe my expectations are wrong, or maybe I'm just a moron. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, we had a crappy hunt, dude. My dad and I covered all the way down from the Grand Canyon Rim at like sea level or whatever elevation that is, all the way up to the top in the burn. Uh, and just, God, dude, I didn't turn up Jack, but all the good guides. I mean, I, I'm on Instagram. I see them. A3, they smashed. Uh, my buddy at Pure Addiction, they killed it. A lot of guys just handle biz. So, at the end of the day, I'm just convinced I just didn't know that country well enough. And looking back, I wish I would have locked up a guide and done it right, you know, because I burned 10 points on it and then never even jacked the shell. So, yeah, frustrating. I was up there for the early I go hunt. Uh, one of my friends is uh, Nick DeBaca. He's a guide for Dwayne Adams hunting. And, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, they know that, that that's the thing I've learned about that. So I was up there for four days with them. They killed a couple 200 inch bucks. Um, it was pretty cool. On the early hunt? On the early hunt. Yeah, I was up there. I wish I would have known you were up there for that. Um, no, dude, I've had 10 people say that to me. Why didn't you say something? I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, man. Like, I, I blew it. I blew it. I, I really thought I could go down there and just kill a big deer, and I, it makes me sick. <laughs> I think it's about the kaibab. It's really about understanding um, what the deer are doing at that time, depending on the food, depending on the water, depending on that. There, there's so many different stages of the Kaibab. And I only get that, you know, I don't know the Kaibab well. I've just gone up there a couple of times when my buddy has clients. I just go up and help along, help out. Because, you know, for me, it's just, it's it's free education. I'm learning sure. from the absolute sure. best. So I go and haul deer, cut wood, split wood, do whatever I can do, and then, then just be a set of eyes on the binoculars. Um, but you know, from what I understand, those guys is that it's understanding the stages of where those deer are. And then it's what pockets are those deer being pushed into, you know, you unleash all those early season hunters in there and a couple rounds go off and this deer got those push areas 
and they hit those push areas. And those good guys know it because they've been doing it for so long. You know, a guy like you and me going up and doing it on our own, if we don't necessarily know that or have that inside intel, you know, we're looking at areas that look really good and, and you think there'd be deer there, but the bigger ones just, they got certain spots they want to go. Yeah. And that's it. That's why I should have just dropped the coin and just done it right. Because I, again, I said earlier, I have no problem admitting when I'm not an expert of something, you know, I, I don't do my own veneers. I, I follow bodybuilders and I learn from them. Like, I don't know why I wouldn't have called the guy that lives and hunts and smashes deer in the Kaibab. You come up where I hunt, you're not going to figure it out in a weekend. And for 10 years wait, I mean, you annualize that cost. You're looking at 400 bucks a year, you know, uh, to, to pay for a badass tag like that. It's a no brainer. I burn 10 times that much in gas, just scouting. So I, I, yeah, I just got my butt handed to me and learned my lesson. So well, yeah, it's a live and learn situation. I'm glad you say that. I was, I'm going to do a podcast on that one day just to really devote time to when to go guided, when to do, you know, do it yourself. You know, for me personally, oh, sure. I'm just like you. My, my stock portfolio also contains every single point I can possibly get. I'm at 15 points for Utah um, elk. <clears throat> I drew yeah, though, cool. you know, we were talking before my Nevada tag, I drew that with three points. Talk about wow. lucky. Like I, I was, when I was rolling out of uh, the little town, I shot this bull in. I had people that were really, really mad at me. I stopped at a gas station and people were, they were calling their buddies and they all knew about the bull, you know, because they all got 17, 18, 20 points as residents and can't draw. And the one lady said to me, she dropped a big F-bomb. She goes, did you buy a F and landowner tag? Is that why you got that? I'm like, no, actually, I just drew it. She's like, how many points did you have? And I'm like... I don't know if I really want to tell you. (laughs) And she she was the clerk at the gas station. I said, well, I had three and like, she wanted to stab my eyes out, you know? So, um, but in cases like that, you know, when I drew that tag, there was no way in the world I was going to go try to do that. I knew this was probably my once in a lifetime shot at a, at a real world. Well, I live in Arizona, so I got other opportunities, but at a chance at a Nevada bull that I've always seen on the cover of the magazines. And, and, you know, I hired an outfitter for that. Some hunts, you know, I'll go to Wyoming and we'll do it on our own, but there's other times where I've hired outfitters as well. There's the, just like you said, when you average out that cost over how many points you put in, there's times where it just makes sense to, you know, when you got an opportunity to kill a, you know, a world beater buck or a bull, you know, to sometimes drop that coin if you can. Sure. Absolutely, man. But uh, yeah, I drew a, well, I should, should draw a Utah, Deer tag, Pine Valley area, general. So those are cool. Yeah, Huge gonna get bucks down there. Yeah, gonna get up there this uh, this fall. So tell me, Zach, how did you grow up? When did you get into hunting? Did you grow up hunting? Your dad was in the outdoors, or how did that look? Yeah, yep. Just a just a typical redneck family. You know, you hunt. Uh, we caught. We were all deer hunters, quote unquote. But we only hunted one weekend a year. We wore orange. It was just an annual October rifle hunt. We'd get up there and camp and shoot the first forky we saw home by noon but you know the rest of the year we just dreamt about it but these guys just the social media side of things has just made hunting so so uh accessible and so easy to just kind of fill your your palate with it you want to look at sheds you want to look at live video you want to see kill shots you want velvet deer you want coos deer you want muleys you want desert bucks it's all out there you know there's pages for everything and the content is like endless so uh, at that young age man all i relished was the magazines like muley crazy magazine uh my vhs collection of uh eastman's videos obviously muley crazy videos um i talked earlier about like um uh, never enough um steve alderman up in uh, uh, idaho all those just those og filmmakers and that just kept the fire lit 
And then when I got older and started making some money and started traveling a little and started meeting guys on the forums, you know, I, I started realizing like, dude, you don't just have to hunt October 19th and 20th every year. Like you can go to Wyoming, you can go to Colorado. So when I was about 25, I just started getting out of state tags and then I just, it was a gateway drug. I mean, I just, every, every tag I could get. Then I started hunting elk. Then I started hunting Ibex and antelope and audads and buffalo and just, I've just never found a critter on earth that wasn't fun to hunt. <laughs> just all awesome. So. <laughs> Do you remember what, what, what year did you get into bow hunting? Uh, 2008, I drew a 6B archery tag in Arizona um, with like five points. And I went to the bow shop and I said, give me the dopest bow you got, man. <laughs> like, I don't want to look like a jackass. Give me the best bow you got. So they sent me, set me up with an original PSE X-Force. Um, which is a, just a, an awesome setup. And I, I shot a lot. I had terrible form. I had a lot of target panic. I was always lifting weight. So I always had like muscle fatigue and rotator soreness and that, that doesn't equate to very stable shooting. So I had to learn to like, like co like basically still lift weights and still shoot. And I remember I talked to Cameron Haynes about it back way back, like 2013. I said, dude, how do you go and like deadlift 315 for reps or, or bench or bench 315 for reps and then go shoot your bow. And I remember he, he probably wouldn't, even, but he said something along the lines of I lift and shoot as far apart from each other as possible. So if I train at 5 PM, I shoot my bow, you know, at 5 AM or 6 AM. So that there's always a, a gap. You know what I mean? You try to spread them out. Uh, Cause I would like go lift weights and then I'd go shoot my bow and dude, I'm just blowing up arrows and my confidence sucked and I hated my bow and I'm jerking the release. But man, if you're, if you're not lifting, you can, you can do a lot better. And so a lot of guys are like, well, dude, stop lifting. Well, you don't understand lifting. It's, it's absolutely as addictive as bow hunting is. You just have to manage the two drugs. You know what I mean? It's, they have to balance and cohabitate. It's a, it's tricky to do it, dude. I mean, I, I train legs so hard that I can't hike the day after. And I mean, I'll, I remember during, even during honey season, guys were like, dude, we're going up tomorrow. I'm like, no, nah, I did legs today. And they'll just clown me, but I'm not missing the leg day, man. I freaking love doing legs. I, I just, I'll do both. I got time. I'm 39, man. I got another 50 seasons in me. I'm going to get lots of leg days and lots of times days on the mountain. So, you know, I'm not in a hurry. That's awesome, man. You've come a long way in 12 years. So you've only been bow hunting 12 years. Yeah, that's it. Wow. Yeah. You've come a long way, man. I I think I got my first bow. My brother, my brother and I just did a podcast. The last one I did, my brother and I reminisced. He's two years older than I was. I remember my very first bow was a PSE and it had like negative let off. Like, you know, bows today, they got 80, 90% let off. This one had like 90% addition to it when (laughs) it was terrible. And then I got an old Jennings Unistar, had a big old contraption in the middle. And just, I, I can, I can name every single bow I've had up until about the last 10 years. I get a new bow every year now, but I remember all those beginning bows and being a terrible shot and old aluminum arrows beaming ICSs with glue-in tips, and we couldn't get them to fly with broadheads on them. But just fall in love with the whole, every every aspect of it, like you said, man. Just, But uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you got you to gotta earn it, dude. I, it, it, there's so much to bow hunting. Like you said earlier, you mentioned it, like the proximity of the animal. I mean, dude, hunting with the gun is fun because if I see a deer, I'm probably going to kill it. Like, and everyone says, yeah, right. I've seen you miss. Oh, I miss, but you know what? I can put another round in and correct and kill the deer in three seconds. You miss with your bow. 
you may not see that deer ever again in your life. You may have, you may have burned him so bad because he smelled you, dude. He saw you. You missed a deer with a gun. He hears a snap and he's like, what the hell was that? I'm out of here. He'll be back there in the morning feeding or, or two days later, whatever. He'll get back in his pattern. You blow a stock on a deer, especially during archery, because they are, they're in their pattern from pretty much from like March. You know, they haven't been bugged. No, no one's messing with them. You got the first couple of days of archery season. If you blow a stock, you may be screwed for the year. And if, and if guys don't understand that, then they don't hunt the way I hunt where I hunt. It, it, it's just how it is. Public land deer are so finicky. They completely forget what they are and where they are in August. But the second a shot goes off or they see a headlamp or they smell a hunter, they all of a sudden remember and they come smart and then they become elusive. They stop hitting your camera. They break all their patterns. Uh, that how big deer get big. They pretty much because someone screwed up. It's like you ever, you ever missed a coyote with your rifle and someone will say, dude, you just save that coyote. He'll never get shot now because he'll never come to a call again. You just educated that dog. He's never coming back. He learned. That's a, that's a, that's a hunter. The deer, the big deer, the same way you educate big deer by blowing stocks and opportunities and on public land, like you may only get one crack at those suckers. Uh, the deer I had last year, I actually had two shots at him in 30 days, one, at, one on the opener and one middle of September. And I, this was literally 20 days hunting in between every single day, trying to turn him up, checking my cameras. I've got sat cams up there. Deer disappeared. Both my shots are inexcusable. I have no idea how, I mean, I just killing myself. That buck ended up getting shot in the valley by the road by a girl that had never actually killed anything with a rifle. Like this is a non-typical 10 by 11 public land deer would have been the trophy of my lifetime that I had in my lap with my bow, perfect conditions, thick, juicy velvet. And I blew it. He ends up getting shot by another hunter. And so that's, that's the variable you're dealing with. It's, it, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It's just, it, it's, you got one shot usually with bows, you know, it's, it's really tricky. You're just explaining the hashtag bow hunting sucks, <laughs> you know, yeah, there you go again. Um, it's easy for me to get back into it. Yeah. But it, but it, what it speaks of is every single animal with a bow is a trophy. And I want to speak to every listener that's new to bow hunting. Cause it, you know, we're picking up steam as bow hunters. And I think it's great female bow hunters coming on faster than any other demographic out there. You know, with social media today, you could speak to this because you're, you're, you're very big in social media. It could be easy to be tricked to think that only the big animals are getting killed. And if you shoot a little small animal, hey, it doesn't even matter. But, you know, social media, we're seeing the highlight reel of everybody's life. It doesn't matter if it's family life, business life, hunting life. Every single animal with a bow is a trophy because of everything that you just explained. One uh, breeze in the back of your, your back of your neck and that elk is gone. And that may be the only opportunity you got that whole season to shoot that elk. Uh, right. you know, one, one missed range jar or yard is judging the yard is wrong and you shoot under a buck and, and, and it's gone and it feels like it's the absolute end of the world, but it's what makes it so much sweeter when you finally connect and get to wrap your, your tag around an animal. So I think, I think social media can trick you know, some of these newer people or even some veterans into it thinking it's always got to be a trophy, but I'm, I'm a firm believer. Do I want to kill the biggest animal I always hunt? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's cool. It's like a, 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 a big blue ribbon, big, great big medal or a trophy. But at the same time, I'm opportunistic because it, it's few and far between when you get business and family and work and pressure and, and responsibilities and you got limited time sometimes, man, I think every animal with a bow is a trophy. And I agree with you, and I'm going to sound like a snob, 
but I'd rather not kill one if it's not the biggest or baddest I've ever killed. And I mean that. And I, I sound like a jerk saying that. And guess what, dude? I'll probably see a big buck and shoot him, even though he's not my biggest. I'll become a hypocrite. I have no problem admitting that. But when I go hunting, I want to always say, dude, that's the biggest deer I've ever killed. Because it's not – for me, it's, it's about improving. And I like those big bucks that are harder to kill for the same reason that bow hunting sucks. It's, they're harder, so you appreciate them more. And I, I think in generality, I'm not saying what you said isn't true. Um, I'm just saying, and I, this doesn't even apply because I know you wouldn't, but like killing a deer off the road, a little forky and velvet is still with your bow would apply to what you said. I think as long as you work for it and you have a good experience and you busted your ass and you push yourself, if you shoot a forky in the backcountry, dude, good for you, man. That's rad. And I'm not trying to be exclusive or special. It, it, again, it's it's about the, the, the effort involved. I, I just don't want to kill a deer just to kill a deer. But if I work for it, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. I hope that made sense. Oh, totally. You know, you put it, you, you, you said it very, very good. Very good. Um, yeah. I so, don't want to sound at all. <laughs> not at all, man. I totally you know, know where you, you're at. You kill, you kill a, a, a four point. I was 16 to kill a four point. It was a fifth, 16 inches wide, you know. Well, the next year I'm like, dude, I, I never even looked at deer unless they were wider than their ears because I've already killed one of those. I want to get a, I want a 22 inch buck. Then I want a 30 incher. I want a buck with a drop time. I want a buck with a cheater. I want mass. I want a big typical. I want a non-typical. I, I want a big velvet buck. Like I'm constantly just changing my wants and the grass is always greener, of course, because I'm a bow hunter and that's just how we roll. But see why I start out shooting little ones. Cause then every year I just got a little bit of gradu- just gradually <laughs> go a little, a little bit bigger yeah. and bigger. You know, yeah, what's kicking my butt. You talked about that, you know, that desert toad that you shot that big wide two by two, the yeah. desert spot and stalk right now is absolutely eating me up and spitting me out. It is people that don't do it, it, it. This is, it is about one of the most difficult styles of hunting that there is. There's nothing to hide behind. And everything is loud. Crunchy. Crunchy, dude. Oh, it's like Doritos out there. Crunchy ground, for sure. That's why I like javelina hunting so much, because if I find them, I can kill them. I love the success rate of archery javelina hunting. It's uh, Yeah, dude, there's nothing wrong with the confidence booster, you know? It's like it's like in baseball. It's like we love it when I play baseball. So, you know, you, you get these smoker ace pitchers that are blowing everybody away, and then in the seventh inning, they bring in an outfielder that's, just a relief pitcher, and I'd love it because I'm like, dude, I'm gonna hit a bomb, and I'm gonna get my, I'm gonna get my confidence back, and I always would because I'd be like, I need this. It's like, it's like the the javelina for you. Like, yeah, you suck at bow hunting, you miss muleys, but just killing a javelina, even though it's not a mule deer, it keeps the fuel lit, so you're not like suicidal, you know. It keeps you just barely on the drip, so you're not giving up. It keeps me coming back, being able to go back hunting that way. My wife can't say, you just go all the time and never bring anything home. <laughs> Now she's like, yeah, please don't bring any more javelina home. It's like, cause they're, we, I cooked this last one up and I mean, it, I, I did, I did good with it. We, we marinated it for four days, cooked it in a slow cooker and it was actually, wasn't that bad. Now it's nothing I'm going to go chase to put food on my table all the time, but at least I, I keep bringing them home. So she lets me yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your favorite of, of all the animals that you've hunted? Do you have one that stands out to you? That was uh, your most favorite. I mean, I, I love those Ibex, but they suck they're impossible to kill and the guys that kill them have guides and 15 friends helping them and the way i hunted it just i got my butt handed to me so i loved ibex but dude i'm a muley guy man i don't i, I was raised hunting mule deer it's all i care about i mean 
I I just love them. And I'm not saying they're the best. I'm just saying I love mule deer. That's it. I'm not saying elk suck. Elk are badass. I love elk. I just love mule deer more. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know you're not an elk snob. Hey, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I, I never killed a big one. Maybe if I killed a four hundo like you, I may become one. Well, I was going to ask you. You know, I, I lucked out. Killed. You know, I lucked out and killed that big one. Now, what am I going to do? But man, yeah, dude, it's downhill. downhill yeah, from there. Uh, if I can see one that big in my lifetime again, I'll, I'll be pretty happy. So, what about That's hunting great. mentors? Um, did you have mentors coming up when you picked up a bow and, and got into it? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, probably. The one guy that's uh, just my neighbor, but he happens to be like a legendary bow hunter and he's a PSE pro. His name's Matt Lillenquist. Um, I moved in next door to Matt and didn't even know he was a bow hunter until like a year or two after I'd lived there. And I, I remember I, I went and knocked on his door and uh, he had a, a desert bighorn full body mount. I'm like, dude, that's like a 180 ram. Like, who the hell is this kid? And uh, I start talking to him. I walk around the corner and he's got a, 190 inch rocky right next to it it's the state record from nevada and i'm like oh my gosh like this guy is straight he's the best you know and so anyways after i met matt and uh got to learn from him i mean i was humbled very quickly like you said if you never bow hunted before you, you know get used to it you're gonna you're gonna get your butt handed to you but matt took me under his wing gave me some information gave me some coaching i followed him around the desert a couple times luckily um, and kind of realized, okay, I'm doing it wrong. This is how you locate deer. That's when I got my 15s, my Swarrow 15s and my, my tripod and, you know, put it on my backpack and learn how to run and gun in the desert. And I learned a ton from him. And I think what he lit the fire and then I just kept adding wood on it, you know, cause he's, he's busy with this family. It's not like he was taking me around spoon feeding me all the time. It, it was, it was, um, just the, just the kind of the kickstart. Then after that, it was just, I took over and went crazy. So it would definitely be him. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, I, I think mentors are great in every aspect of life, just even parenting, you know, marriage, you know, having somebody that's been a little bit older and you've done, done it well and, and been successful and is always great to, to talk about. When it comes to hunting, just like I said with, you know, Dwayne Adams hunting and some of their guys, I go with them every opportunity I can get and literally to be completely out of their way, but to be the biggest help that I can be because it's, it shortens the learning curve of something new. You know, I grew up in Wisconsin till I was 38 years old. So I, I grew up hunting out of a tree stand, tur- you know, right. and, and chasing turkeys in every little farm field there was, but you come out here and it's a totally different game, different optics, different long range, everything, you know, everything is different. So when you can get a good mentor that can, you can shorten that learning curve. It really, it, that makes a difference. So I was kind of curious, you know, if you had some of those guys growing up, well, and I'm a chump for not saying it, but my dad, of course, dude, he cultivated the whole thing from the beginning. And you talk about like that, that, that Jedi, that Yoda to go to when you need help with anything in life. My dad is the smartest, wisest, most temperate human being that ever lived. And he's the complete opposite of me in every way. So it's, it's amazing to have him on board with anything because he's just, he's wise, you know? So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Man, we need more great men like that in, in, in America today. That's one of the things that makes our country suffer a little bit is lack of good uh, men. I don't, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but lack of good you know, fathers that are out there and, sure. and, and sure. Father, fatherless no, kids. You know, it, it, more kids in jail that, that grew up without fathers. So, man, be good ones out right. there if you're a father. Be a good one. Yeah, 100%. 
Um, I want to ask you this question, then I want to talk about a little fitness, then I'll let you get back to work if you don't mind. Um, I I listened on a podcast you were on a couple years ago, I think. And the reason I was thinking of this, I'm getting ready. I'm leaving tomorrow morning to Southern Arizona for my turkey tag. I drew one of the Goulds archery tags, so super fired up for that. Um, But I'm putting together my first aid kit, and my two boys are coming with me. I, you had talked about on one of your podcasts, you had gotten a pretty bad accident when you were out in the outdoors. Do you, does maybe just share a little bit of that? You don't have to go into all of it, but share a little bit of that story. And then did that change anything for you as far as what you carry? Do you carry like a certain first aid pack, tourniquet type stuff? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's just me being me. Like I, I just go too hard. You know, I, I, I was looking for sheds. It was, it was March, it was freezing cold. And I went up too far too early. Didn't take my full pack. Cause I thought going light would be smarter. My legs weren't warmed up. They weren't, they weren't hot like they are later in the year. So I thought, yeah, lighter pack. That's going to equate to, you know, more efficient moving and everything. And, and I just went too far too late, had a pile of sheds in my hand, rolled a big ass rock over on my, on my uh, arm. Yeah, I tore my arm up and then it, it gave me the biggest hematoma you've ever seen in the side of my hip. It, it just, my legs swelled. We thought my femur had been broken or dislocated. Uh, and I got into a bad shape. I went into shock. I got dehydrated. I pretty much was going to, I mean, my dad was there. He, he, I called him and he came up and he says, you would have died if I had left you on the mountain because you were, you were out of it, you know? So we had a, a, he called a life flight. And I mean, I was in shock. I don't remember most of it other than I was just screaming and it was, you know, terrifying, but um, I just learned my lesson. You know, you just, you can be in your backyard, you can be in your stomping grounds, but you can get smashed. You know, you can't uh, take that stuff for granted. It's still a mountain dude, whether it's, you've been there a thousand times, it's the, the, the elements are, they don't give a damn how much you can lift or, you know, what, what brand your supplements are. They, they if you get hurt and you overdo it and you're not thinking and, you know, pacing yourself, you can get humbled really quick. And I did, it was ugly. So first aid pack, do you carry one? I do now. Yeah. My, my buddy's a Marine medic. He gave me one of his uh, Marine packs, a really cool little deal. It's got a tourniquet in it. Um, uh, it's kind of just their little medic, medic pack or whatever it's called. And a Marine would know, I, I don't know, but it's, he just gave me one. It's in my backpack. Now it'll never come out of there. Um, I always wear my big pack now as well. Um, I kind of used to get away from it because it's so heavy and cumbersome. But dude, even for day trips, man, I throw that sucker in there and take it along. There's no reason not to. And just, uh, just again, you always plan for the worst, you know. Yeah, no, I was. That's what made me think of it. I was thinking, you know, because I knew we were going to be talking on here, and I, it brought me back to that story as I was looking at my getting all my packs and tweezers, and I'm going to get some Benadryl and some ibuprofen, and just really do it right. I don't have a tourniquet, and I was listening to some other, some another podcast the other day, and they were talking about a tourniquet saved a guy's life. I'm like, you know, I should probably invest in one and get it in my pack, get one in my truck, and uh, just just be smart, like you said. The mountains are unforgiving; they don't care how much work you put in it. Cause you know, this better than anybody living where you live in the way that you hunt, you can be in peak shape and it's still going to suck going up that mountain. It just, yeah. it just is what it is. When, when it happened too, I mean, it happened on a Saturday. Um, I got life lighted out, spent two days in the hospital on, on drips and IVs and got rehydrated and fixed up and um, got my arm stapled up and everything. And then I got home and I hadn't told anybody, dude. I came into work. No one even knew. Like, I didn't say a word to anybody. It's not like you're like, dude, Zach's getting life lighted. And I'm like, well, I mean, I might as well tell my friends what happened. You know, I learned a lesson. I can help them. So I posted about it. 
and it, you know, dude, it was that it was the ninety nine percent rule. It, the, the outpouring of support and understanding and compassion from guys like you that I actually respect was was amazing. But there were some trolls, dude, that just you know the the memes and their you know the guy can do you know bench press his body weight twenty times, but calls a helicopter when he scratches his arm on the mountain. I mean, just that you know, just the low blow garbage. So it, it was kind of souring to me that way. Um, cause I, one thing I've always done and I've tried to be authentic with my content, just kind of putting it all out there, you know, yeah, I wear tank tops. Yeah. I go tanning. I wear flat brim hats. I listen to rap music. I go bow hunting. It's like, this is just me take it or leave it, you know? And so when I got hurt, I'm like, I'm going to post this and it bit me in the ass a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, like guys like you, and like I said, guys that I respect, I mean, I'll Jason Carter, I was on their podcast and they weren't making fun of me, dude. Jason Carter is the guru. He's like, dude, it, it could happen to anybody, man. Like you need to slow your roll and, and go prepared and plan for the worst on all your trips. Uh, Cause like you said, the mountain doesn't give a damn how many pushups you can do, man. It, it's, it's, you're rolling rocks. I was at 9,000 feet. I was five miles from my truck. Like, of course you can get hurt up there. Are you kidding me? It could have been worse. I could have just got smashed. The rock fell roll on rolled over me. It could have crushed my head and killed me. So yeah, it just learned my lesson, you know, like you're not invincible, slow down, pump the brakes, you know, be smart. You got a family, you know, you're, there's more on the table than a stupid shed. So, you know, that's all it was. It just gave me some perspective. Well, I'm glad you shared it. I think I listened to it on the Epic podcast. That's where I heard it when you, when you shared it on yeah. there and I'm glad you shared it. And you know, for the trolls that, um, maybe make funny of those them stinking trolls. They're not out hunting what you hunt anyway. They couldn't, they, they couldn't carry your pack up a mountain and you know that, but I mean, it's still, no, it wouldn't fit them. It wouldn't fit around their man boots either. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I get, I don't get trolled as much cause I obviously I don't have as big a presence, but when I do, you know, I'm always like, I'm bigger than that. Ain't going to bother me. And then later in the day, I'm like, you know what? If I could just meet that guy, give me yeah, seven minutes it. with him on a wrestling mat. I would, I would yeah. love it. I would love it. <laughs> See, but you're, you're tough. I'm not tough, but I'm really smart and I'm really, I'm good spitting game, you know, like verbally. So for me not to rebut all these comments just drove me nuts. But at the end of the day, like you said, they, they want that attention. So if you respond, it's almost like you're fueling their fire. You're, you're giving them what they want. Whereas if you just go, you know, crickets chirping, no one cares. It's almost hurts some more. So I learned real quickly, like no response, block, delete, move is the way to approach social media nonsense. And yep. it's really easy to get around. Yeah. If you want to make everybody happy, just do nothing. That's about the only way, exactly. about the only way to do it. So let's talk fitness. Let's, let's close out with some fitness stuff. You mentioned baseball. I love baseball. That's the heart of what we do here. When we moved to Arizona, you know, I always told my wife, I said, you know, hun, my son came out swinging a bat, my oldest boy. And I just always said, I'm like, you know, and, and here's what happened, Zach, you, you'll find this funny. I'm a big, I'm a big believer. Um, if that makes sense, like I'm, if you got goals, go after it. I, there's nothing that can hold you back from what you want. If you're willing to go after it, and I'm talking about the highest level of sport, business, family, hunting, whatever it is. And we were in little league back in Wisconsin and one of the coaches, some of the parents were raising a stink about the teams that their kids got put on. And, you know, they were trying to build their own little league teams and, you know, the kids are eight, nine years old and, because that's how old my boy was. And, and the, the head coach of the whole high school got it, all the little league coach together. And he said, guys, look at, he goes, and he pointed out to all the little league ages, all the way up to like 13, 14. They're all kind of practicing. He goes, look at every one of these kids here. He goes, not a one of these kids will ever make it to the pros. You want to know that? That's the truth. And I remember thinking, yeah, I know statistically it's about the hardest thing to do, but 
don't tell me that. And don't tell my kids that like, don't plant a negative seed in their mind. So I always told my wife, I said, you know, if we get to the point where we, we, you know, have a little finances and we can move somewhere or support our kids' dreams. I want to do that. And that was one of the contributing factors of moving to Arizona as well. I'm like, Hey, we get to play baseball all the time around. Oh here. Yeah, yeah. You know? Hub, yeah. Sure. So tell me about your baseball career. I mean, I'm in it. We coach it. Obviously we can't do anything right now. Coronavirus has got us all shut down and now we're just, now we're just working out. We've got my kids working out. So I said, you ain't, you don't get to take this time off. You got to come out of the coronavirus better, stronger, faster than what you went into it. Otherwise it, it reveals your, your, your lack of discipline. So what was your baseball right. career? I just grew up playing Little League, played high school, was really good in high school, went on a, a LPS mission, lost all my weight, lost all my muscle, came back, walked on at Utah State. I had an academic scholarship there, so, of course, the baseball team's like, come and play, dude. Like, you're not burning up one of our scholarships. You're welcome to come sit the bench and go shag balls while the, the starters, you know, hit. So I played a couple years in college, but I just wasn't good, and it just wasn't as fun anymore. I really relished it when I was 17, 18, 19, and I was mashing, you know, but just a great game, dude. I, I've never met a bow hunter that didn't play baseball. It's just, there's something about our DNA. You just bow hunt and you play baseball. They're, they're just hand in hand. So, Yeah, that's awesome. In my One of the podcasts I have, you can see it go back on uh, the story of Damian Miller. He was a catcher for the Diamondbacks. He's just in the town that we live in. Um, it's got a great story. We hunt together all the time. That's who I went moose hunting with, and we go elk hunting all the time. Um, had an 18-year career, but he tells a story of how he went through, wasn't really going to play baseball, found it, and then ended up having an 18-year career, winning a World Series, and he's a diehard bow hunter. I mean, like, he's a nut. So really good story that you'll enjoy in the podcast. But what about your fitness game? When did that, when did you start? Did you start out young, lifting weights, or is that recent? I yeah, mean, you're, just, you're as fit as they get. Mean, yeah, just dude. I well, and the thing it's funny. Like naturally, you can only maximize your genetic potential. You know, like I'm a, I, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Like never, not even close. You meet an IFBB pro heavyweight body open bodybuilder, and you look at me, and you're like, holy, are you even the same species? So I, I've, I've done a lot to improve what I've got, but like I'm not even 25 percent of what I wish I had. Um, and I've just, I just have always liked training, man. I love lifting weights. I don't know if it's the pump. I don't know if it's the exhaustion post-workout. I don't know if it's the growth and, and results you see. Um, it's just, a, I'm neurotic, man. I like to get in every day and smash and let off my steam and, and push myself. And I'm, I'm really regimented, really disciplined, very boring that way. Like my life, my schedule, my dieting, it's very consistent, predictable, um, you know, I it just, I just, how I am, I'm not emotional about eating. I'm not emotional about training. I just do it. It's robotic. I do it every day. And so it kind of just plays into my personality and obviously it's equated into hunting. You know, you, you can, you don't need a six pack to kill a bull elk, but if you suck at hunting, you can definitely kill more elk. If you don't have a six pack, cause it gives you more time in the field. You go further, harder, longer, et cetera, you know? Um, you could deny that the, the value in that is absurd. I mean, you can't tell me fitness and hunting are not directly correlated. Can Are there outliers that kill stuff that are out of shape? Yes. Are there fit guys that suck at hunting? You know, exhibit A, me. Uh, it's it's clear. There, there's, there's always the outliers. But in general, if you're physically fit, you're healthy, you recover faster, you perform better, you're going to be more effective in the field. And that's, you know, very subjective, but it, it's going to, you know, directly translate. Yeah. What style of training do you, you do, you were doing the cardio lives in the morning, you know, I have thousands of guys on there talking to you live and you know, the coronavirus shut that down, but you know, I'm a CrossFitter. That's what I do. Um, 
I've really liked it. I like that style and not everybody does. You got a different style. I also do some other stuff um, on my own. I love kettlebells. I love, I've been playing with those for a long time. I really like them as a fun little functional tool. Um, but there's nothing to me like throwing a heavy backpack on and, and cranking out my mountain here by my house. Cause when you're, when you're hauling a heavy backpack around the mountains, you, you got to be prepared for it. Shoulders, back, lats, hips, all oh, that. Yeah. What about what, what's your favorite style that translates for you like if there's a new if there's somebody listening to this right now and they're looking at getting into shape, what would your recommendation be for them? Just find something you like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't like I don't like CrossFit. I make fun of it. They make fun of me. I train I train to look good naked. So <laughs> if I if I'm doing if I'm doing if I'm doing aesthetic training, hypertrophy volume, uh, literally the bro splits, you know, um, that's not necessarily equating to the ultimate mountain athlete. So. I'm not training to hunt and I'm not hunting to train. I try to tie the two in as much as possible. So at the end of the day, like I want to be a big, lean, massive bodybuilder and I also want to go bow hunting. So, you know, for me, I'm not going to go take anabolics and, and growth and, and get, get my body weight. I can, I'm a six, six foot tall. I could easily get my frame into the 260 to 280 range and be completely useless on the mountain and take a bunch of, you know, exogenous hormones to do it. I, I, I don't want that because I want to be functional. I just want to be shredded and lean and look good and still be able to go hunting, even though my training may actually impinge my hunting a little bit, because like I said, I always do leg day, even during the season. And that equates to sore legs on the mountain, which means I'm not as efficient. And guys would say, well, dude, why would you do that? Well, again, I like to train. So it's not all about hunting. and It's not all about training. It's the marriage of the two. And so I just try to find a balance there. It's kind of, kind of weird. It's not, I don't train to hunt. You know what I mean? Like if I was doing that, I like my buddy, Sean, all here, he has very little upper body strength, but his legs are giant and they're vascular. They're huge. Like his legs are as big as mine. I bet he has 25 inch thighs. They're huge because the kid just burns around the mountain, but that's all he does. Um, I want to have a big wide delts and big wide back and have all the, the V taper and all the shoulders and everything. And then also want to have the, the rip veiny legs and burner. I mean, it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, the two don't necessarily uh, benefit each other, but you have to find a balance if you want to have both. And I've tried to do that. I'm not really effective at it, but it's just a work in progress. No, you gave the best advice right there. Find something you like to do because, it oh, could, yeah, for sure. you know, it be, it's like anything. It's like diet, um, it, exercise. People ask me all the time, like, what, what do you think about this diet? I'm like, here's what I'll tell you. If you can sustain it for the rest of your life, do it. If you can't, maybe it's not the best. Just do things that you're going to love to do and that you can sustain. That's the best way your body's going to get results. And, uh, you know, if, if, if it's, uh, yoga, if that's all you like to do, just do yoga, do something that that increases your physical fitness and well being and health. And it's not, it's not the answer people want to hear, but it's the truth because like, again, CrossFit obviously works, dude. I mean, if you've seen rich froning, you, of course you're built like him. You guys have beat my ass in the gym. There's no way. I, I can't. I mean, it's it works. It's just not fun to me. So I I tried. I did P90X. I got ripped. I thought it was dope. You know, I could I could dunk a basketball when I was 30 years old. I never dunked in my life till I was, could do P90X. So, but but then instantly I'm like, well, dude, my arms are way skinnier than they were. My legs aren't. I'm not the same as. I want more mass, and so I instantly got out of it. So. Again, you just got to find what you like, become passionate about it, and maybe you're not shredded, maybe you're not bulky, maybe you're not super strong at your power lifts and your PRs, 
you just got to find something like you said, yoga, whatever it is, just, just improve on what you got and you'll be happy. You know what I mean? And don't compare to others because it doesn't matter what Rich does. doesn't matter what Zach does. doesn't matter what JP does. Dude, we're all doing our thing and having fun smiling. You do your thing your way and you be you and everyone will be happy, you know? Yeah, just as long as I don't start seeing Instagram posts of uh, Zach doing Zumba, I'm on the same page <laughs> with you here. <laughs> Unless it's... Unless it's a Zumba dance after a big old giant, you know, two hundred inch uh, bull or buck, then then I'm then I'm with you for that. <laughs> well, man, you know, it, and, and diets the same way, um, man. I, and I know you got you got your ways of doing things, and it, obviously it's working. Anybody just, you know, I'm going to give you an opportunity to share where people can follow you here. Everything you're doing is working. You keep saying I'm a sucky bow hunter. Well, if I can suck as bad as you, and still put as many of those uh, animals on the wall as you have, hey. Call me a sucky hunter because you're you're doing it right, man. You you've been really fun to follow. I was flipping through a lot of your Instagram today and just laughing at a lot of stuff that you got. You've been a you've been a good, entertaining, positive um, uh, social media presence out there, and I, I we're never going to have enough positivity in our society today. So guys like you, you do it right. And, and uh, you're connected to the right people. You, you speak the right message. You live the message that you speak. You know, you're fit, you love to hunt and you share that and everything you do. So I can't thank you enough just for doing that. Cause it impacts my life. You know, it, what impacts my life impacts my family's life. And, and I appreciate you for that. Thanks a ton, man. That's really sincere. I really I appreciate it. I got nothing to say. I'm flattered. Yeah. Um, so why don't we, I'm going to let you get back to work, Zach. And, and again, I can't thank you enough for taking time out. We didn't know each other. And, and I'm, I, was ex- I was super excited to get a chance to get to know you because, again, we, we share a lot of the same passions. And one day we'll share a, you know, a, an opportunity on, the, on, on a mountain together, maybe a, maybe a desert flat. We'll go, I'll start there first. I'll, you just keep coming down here. We'll go to the desert flats. Um, Sounds good, dude. I'm going to be there. Don't worry. Yeah. But why don't you give the, oppor- uh, the listeners an opportunity to follow you? I know you got a website. You got some, uh, you got Summit Productions and, and you got apparel and you got all that awesome stuff. So you mind just uh, sharing where, uh, follow or listeners can follow you and where they can find yeah. all your stuff you bet man it's uh i'm not egotistical i am an e- i am egotistical but I, I all my social media stuff it's just my name i just it's easy to remember it's easy to find it's just zach griffith z-a-c-g-r-i-f-f-i-t-h so instagram twitter facebook youtube my website zachgriffith.com uh it's just it's easy to find it's just like hunting fitness humor like you said just lightheartedness just hopefully smiling what it's all about so well you got any big hunts for the spring uh no spring at all no that's when i crunch man i will tell off so that my falls can be sustained you know through the drought that i explained earlier <laughs> yeah well i hope to show you a picture in a day or so of a big old arizona goulds that's all i have and then i might sneak back to the midwest and hunt little turkey there. I grew up turkey hunting and just, uh, it's like elk hunting. When you grow up in the Midwest, when it's deer hunting, you don't ever want to see a turkey. When it's spring yeah. turkey season, you don't ever want to see a deer. That's just kind of the yep, way it is. I've heard, I've heard it, man. I've heard it. Yep. Yep. So Zach, thanks a lot, buddy. And have a great rest of your day. And uh, thanks for taking the time out speaking on the Fit Archer podcast. You bet, man. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. All right. See you, see you later, buddy. See you. Bye.